Chapters twenty three and twenty four of the third volume by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Twenty three. Fact and fiction. A silence ensued between them tate waiting to mark the effect of his revelation while jenny tried to grasp the idea that fiction had changed unexpectedly to fact to her the case had been more or less of a romance far removed and impossible as such she had told it to linton but now brought face to face with the fact that the murdered man's son was in the neighbourhood she scarcely knew what to think certainly she was ignorant what to say the shock would have unstrung a more nervous woman but jenny Payton was not wanting in pluck and so braced herself up to do what was required of her yet it took her a little time to recover and seeing this tate afforded her the opportunity by talking broadly of the matter later on he intended to enter into details i do not wonder you are startled miss Payton," he said easily this is a coincidence such as we rarely meet with in real life my friend was ignorant of his father's fate but one evening papers were put into his hands which recounted the tragedy papers similar to those whence you obtained the story he came to tell me all but scarcely had he begun his relation when i became aware that i knew everything beforehand had you also seen the papers mr tate no but i had read a whim of fate there i found the larger affair set forth in the guise of fiction astonished at this i sought out linton who i learned was the author hidden under the name of john parver and asked him whence he obtained his material he mentioned your name and so i have come to you why can you ask to find out all you know of the matter for what reason i think you can guess my reason replied tate quietly my friend claude larcher wishes to find out who killed his father after five-and-twenty years impossible so i said at first now i am of a different opinion in a short space of time we have found out a great deal with your help we will discover more and so in the end the matter may be cleared up you want my help decidedly it is solely for that reason that larcher and i have come here it was a pale-faced jenny who sat considering a reply to this remark she began to be aware that she had inadvertently set a ball rolling the progress of which she was powerless to stop that chance discovery in the garret had resuscitated an old scandal and brought her into contact with people of whose existence she had hitherto been ignorant as a matter of fact jenny was responsible for the revival of the larcher affair her narration of the plot had caused the writing of the novel and that in its turn had freshened the memory of mrs bezel with the result that claude had been told the truth now he had come to the source to learn more i don't see how i can help said jenny fencing with the inevitable if as you say mr larcher saw the canterbury observer he must know as much as i do about the matter very true replied tate promptly but there are many things in the novel which are not mentioned in the report of the case those things are fictitious you must go to frank for information about them was that scarf-pin episode fictitious no replied jenny with some hesitation carrie told me that carrie our manservant he has been with my father ever since i can remember and is quite the autocrat of the household he found me with those papers one day after i told frank the story and took them away from me you have no idea how angry he was that i had read them yet he told you about the scarf-pin oh that was because i asked him who had committed the crime 
said jenny quickly at first he would not talk about it but when i said that no doubt jerringham was guilty since he had fled carrie denied it and asserted that the crime was committed by the man who owned the garnet scarf-pin did he say who owned it no he went away before i could ask him and will not let me speak of the matter in the book frank makes michael dean the owner of the pin ah and michael dean is francis hilliston in real life how do you know that asked the girl quickly with a nervous start my dear young lady i have read the report of the case and the novel it is easy to see who your fictitious personages are do you know mr hilliston a little he has visited my father once or twice but we have not seen him now for many years in fact i had almost forgotten his name till i saw it in the case Humph! in the novel michael dean the man meant for hilliston commits the crime was that your idea or linton's it was frank's dean was the least likely person to be suspected and it was necessary to keep up the mystery to the end but i think he ought to have made markham commit the crime markham is jerringham is he not said tate thoughtfully with your permission miss Paynton, we will use the real names not the fictitious it will help us to understand the matter more clearly jenny stood up and tucked the music-book under her arm the recollection of carrie's anger made her feel that she was unwise to talk so freely to a stranger about the matter hitherto tate had taken his own way now she was resolved to take hers i don't want to speak any more about it she said resolutely i am very sorry i told frank the story and meddled with those papers let me pass mr tate and drop the subject no don't do that cried tate rising in his turn and barring her way you must not fail me at the eleventh hour my friend is bent on learning the truth and surely you will not grudge him help remember it is the murderer of his father whom he desires to bring to justice i can't say any more i know no more mr tate do you know what i am about to do no said tate looking at her grave face in some wonder i am going home to tell my father and carrie what use i made of those papers if i acted wrongly it is but right that they should know they will know shortly without your telling miss jenny ah you intend to speak of the matter yourself perhaps but in this case i allude to hilliston hilliston repeated jenny in surprise what has he to do with the matter a great deal i fancy more than you or i suspect he is now at eastbourne and i am certain he will come over here to see you to-morrow to see me why because he wants you to hold your tongue about these matters mr tate she cried with a sudden flush surely you are not biased by frank's book you imply that mr hilliston is afraid of the truth i think he is in fact i am sure he is do you believe he committed that cowardly crime of twenty-five years ago asked jenny with scorn what is your own opinion was the counter-question i believe that jerringham was the murderer yes captain larcher went in disguise to that ball and learned the truth from the lips of his own wife i believe she loved jerringham i believe he followed her home on that fatal night urging her to fly then captain larcher appeared on the scene and in the struggle that ensued he was killed jerringham fled and mrs larcher died that i am certain is the true history of this crime you think then that mrs larcher was privy to the murder oh i don't say that said the girl shrinking back 
it is impossible to say but i have no right to talk to you about these matters mr tate i have told you all i know let me pass please tate bowed and stood aside hat in hand she flitted down the aisle a slim girlish figure and had arrived at the door when his voice arrested her one moment miss Payton, he said following her quickly what is it don't tell your father of this for twenty-four hours why because i want to prove to you that what i say is true hilliston will inform your father himself and ask you to be silent it is too late for that now unfortunately why unfortunately you should be glad to have strengthened the hands of justice however we need not speak of that now will you promise to withhold your confession for the time i ask i promise nothing mr tate good evening but miss Payton, he said following her again you surely will not be so rash you can have no idea how important these matters are to my friend mr hilliston is certain to inform your father within the next twenty-four hours so surely you can give us that time to do what we can i beg of you jenny stopped irresolutely and looked at tate with a mixture of anger and doubt the matter had now grown so intricate that she did not know what to do what to say she had known tate long enough to be guided by his advice or to rely on his judgment and her impulse was to tell her father and receive suggestions as to what was best to be done under the circumstances yet she also mistrusted hilliston as his connection with the horriston case seemed to her to be by no means as simple as had appeared at first sight she was suspicious of him and if he came over to thorston especially to ask her to be silent that would go a long way toward confirming her doubts and then after all no harm could be done within the twenty-four hours as afterwards she could tell her father thus at once satisfying her conscience and her curiosity she made the compromise very well mr tate she said gravely i promise to be silent for twenty-four hours twenty-four a new suspicion spencer tate walked back to the manor-house with the pleasing conviction that he had passed a very profitable hour he had warned jenny about the probable movements of hilliston and thus had put her on her guard against that astute individual once an idea enters a woman's head it is impossible to get it out again and tate by half hinting a confirmation of jenny's suspicion regarding the lawyer had made her uneasily conscious that hilliston was a man to be watched and reckoned with if hilliston fulfilled tate's prophecy the little man believed that jenny would resent his interference penetrate his motives and thwart him if possible in spite of her denial that she thought him guilty tate could not but perceive that the reading of the case had not biased her in favour of the dead man's friend jenny believed that jerringham had committed the crime but if hilliston acted indiscreetly it would not take much to induce her to alter that opinion tate chuckled as he thought of these things for he had not only cut the ground from under hilliston's feet by warning jenny of his possible arrival but had as he truly thought converted a passive spectator into an active enemy again he had learned that it was the old servant who had informed the girl concerning the scarf-pin episode carey said that the man who owned the scarf-pin was guilty and carey knew to whom the scarf-pin belonged if he could only be induced to part with the information there might be some chance of solving the mystery but carey's or rather dennis bantry's past conduct and present attitude were so doubtful that it was difficult to know how he would act even though he were driven into a corner tate had little doubt in his own mind that carey was the old servant of captain larcher 
for no one but he knew the truth about the scarf-pin nevertheless he failed to understand why the man had changed his name and why he was staying at thorston as servant to a recluse like peyton only a personal interview with him could settle these vexed questions but tate was of two opinions whether carrie would be amenable to reason and confess his reasons for such concealment thus thinking and trying to come to some conclusion regarding the new aspect placed upon affairs by the conversation with jenny the little man arrived home and learning that claude was still in the garden he went there to report the result of his interview and discuss the situation larcher was leaning back in a comfortable garden-chair with an open book on his knee but instead of reading he was staring with unseeing eyes into the fresh green of the tree above him on hearing tate's brisk step he hastily lowered his head with a flush as though he had been caught doing something wrong and grew still more confused when he saw his friend looking at him with a queer expression of amusement she is a pretty girl said tate significantly and i don't wonder you are thinking of her thinking of who asked claude merrily at this reading of his thoughts are you a mind-reader so far as you are concerned i am knowing how easily influenced you are by the sight of a pretty face i don't think i am far wrong in guessing that your thoughts were with jenny Payton. well yes replied claude with a frank laugh i do not deny it the glimpse i caught of her as we drove past in the cart charmed me greatly i have rarely seen a more sympathetic and piquant face bah you say that of every woman you meet your geese are always swans jenny is at all events said larcher promptly and you cannot deny that but i admire her exceedingly that is as a pretty woman you see i already call her jenny in my own mind but that is because you always talk of her by her christian name now jenny is my dear don juan said tate blandly don't you think we had better leave off these erotics and get to business you must not indulge in the ideal to the exclusion of the real oh not that business sighed larcher wearily i don't believe we'll do any good with it the mystery of my father's death is likely to remain one to the end of time for all i can see every trace is obliterated by the snows of twenty-five years not entirely my friend for instance i have learned an important fact to-day from miss Payton. yes we had a long conversation and she was considerably startled when she learned the object of your visit here was it wise of you to tell her why yes returned tate decidedly we can do nothing without her help and that she will refuse to give us unless she learns the reason of our inquiries what is her opinion of the matter the same as linton's i suppose by no means she thinks that jerringham killed your father but i am not altogether sure that she does not suspect hilliston after all she may come round to linton's opinion before long did you tell her that we suspected hilliston asked claude anxiously not directly but i permitted myself to hint as much however i only aided the seed of suspicion to sprout for it was already implanted in her mind you look astonished claude but recall to your recollection the report of that case and you will see that hilliston was far too much mixed up in the matter to be as ignorant as he pretended to be at the trial according to his evidence he had not left the ballroom and consequently could have known nothing of the tragedy which was then being enacted at the laurels yet he knows details which so far as i can see prove him to have been an eye-witness 
claude jumped to his feet and began restlessly pacing up and down the gravel walk he yet retained some belief in hilliston and was reluctant to think that one to whom he owed so much should be guilty of so foul a crime it was true that certain circumstances looked black against him but these were purely theoretical and by no means founded on absolute facts after due consideration claude inclined to the belief that tate was too easily satisfied of hilliston's guilt and was willing to accept any stray facts likely to confirm his theory thus biased he could not possibly look on the matter in a fair and equable manner the wish was altogether too greatly father to the thought i don't think you give hilliston a fair show tate he said stepping before his friend if he winks an eye you look on it as a sign of his guilt my mother assured me solemnly that hilliston was at the ball when the tragedy occurred oh in that case i have nothing more to say said tate coldly still he added rather spitefully i should like to know why mr hilliston is so anxious to keep the matter quiet tate said claude hoarsely sitting down by his friend and seizing his arm do you know i have often asked myself that question and i have found a reply thereto the only reply of which i can think he paused and looked fearfully around then wiped the sweat off his white face with a nervous gesture tate eyed him in amazement and could not understand what had come over his usually self-possessed friend but he had no time to speak for claude with an irrepressible shiver whispered in a low voice what if my mother should be guilty after all ah you may well look astonished but that is the hideous doubt which has haunted me for days my mother says she ran at my father with a dagger but fainted before she struck him what if she did not faint if she really killed him and hilliston knowing this is trying to screen her and trying to save me from knowing the truth but my dear fellow the trial never mind the trial we know that dennis swore falsely when he asserted that my father was not in the house on that night we know that he was in the house and that my mother found him with mona bantry her jealousy might have carried her to greater lengths than she intended to go dennis saved her at the trial by telling a lie but we know the truth and i cannot rid myself of a doubt that she may be guilty if so in place of being an enemy hilliston is acting the part of a friend in placing obstacles in our way tate shook his head i do not believe mrs bezel is guilty he said quietly if she had been she would certainly not have written to you and thus forced hilliston to show you the papers banish the thought from your heart claude i am as certain as i sit here that your mother is innocent of the crime if i could only be certain and why should you not be exclaimed tate vigorously an eye-witness could tell you the truth where can i find an eye-witness cried claude with an impatient frown mona bantry and jerringham have both fled they are probably dead by this time my mother denies that she struck the blow and hilliston she says was at the ball when the murder took place who can tell me the truth dennis bantry said tate quietly listen to me claude the episode of the garnet scarf-pin which to my mind is the clue to the assassin is only known to your mother to hilliston and to dennis bantry now hilliston denies that such a trinket exists your mother insists that it was found on the bank of the river after the murder the only person who can give the casting vote who can arbitrate so to speak is dennis bantry and where is dennis bantry 
lost or dead years ago nothing of the sort my friend dennis bantry is alive and in this neighbourhood yes jenny Payton admitted to me that the scarf-pin episode was related to her by their old servant carrie therefore it naturally follows that carrie is dennis bantry but why is he hiding here under another name said larcher after he had digested this piece of information with a due display of astonishment that i cannot say unless here tate hesitated before uttering his opinion unless dennis bantry is the guilty person but that is impossible that is out of the question said claude decidedly he was devoted to my father as you know why should he turn and kill him without a cause ah said tate significantly what if he had a cause and a very good one to kill your father recall your mother's confession she returned at three o'clock in the morning and found her husband alone with mona the sister of dennis she accused mona of being her husband's mistress and the girl confessed her guilt which your father evidently could not deny now what is more probable than that dennis attracted by the high voices should have followed your mother to the room there he would hear the truth probably while waiting at the door what follows with his impulsive irish temperament he dashes in hot to avenge the wrong done to his sister the dagger dropped by your mother is at his feet he picks it up and kills his master on the instant your mother in a faint on the floor knows nothing of what is going on and brother and sister remove the body to the river where they drop it in then mona is sent away by dennis to hide her shame and evade awkward questions while he remains but why should he remain interrupted claude smartly would it not have been wiser for him to fly and so confess his guilt no he induces jerringham to fly with the threat of denouncing him as the murderer of larcher jerringham is in such a dilemma that seeing that all the evidence will be against him he takes to flight thereupon dennis is able to save his mistress and himself by denying that larcher came to the house on that night of course this is all pure theory still it is as circumstantial as the rest of the evidence we have in hand but claude was by no means inclined to agree with this last remark there are flaws in your argument he said after a few moments reflection if dennis intended to deny that my father was in the house on that night why should he induce jerringham to fly to make assurance doubly sure no doubt he intended first to put the blame on jerringham but finding that mrs larcher was likely to be accused he made things safe for her by denying that his master returned on that evening only four people knew of the return mona who fled mrs larcher who held her tongue to save her neck dennis who swore falsely to serve his mistress and jerringham who thought he might be accused of the crime but why wouldn't he have denounced dennis he was doubtless ignorant that dennis was the criminal you forget that jerringham was in the garden and knew nothing of what was taking place in the sitting-room dennis rushed out and finding jerringham may have told him that mrs larcher had killed her husband on his account the man bewildered and shocked yet sees that he is complicated in the case through his love for mrs larcher he guesses that owing to the gossip of the place he may be accused of the crime and so does the wisest thing he could do the only thing he could do and seeks refuge in flight then you think dennis is guilty i can't say as you see i can make a strong case out against your mother against jerringham against dennis yes i could even make a case against mona bantry 
but it is sole theory yet dennis must have some reason for hiding here under the name of carey and for keeping those papers found by jenny which contained a report of the case the case is strong against hilliston i admit but is stronger against your father's own servant i don't think so said claude quietly if dennis had killed my father he would not have told jenny about the scarf-pin why not the scarf-pin may have belonged to jerringham to hilliston for his own safety now that the case is recognized after so many years by a girl's rash action dennis would not hesitate to blame them to save himself taking it all round added tate with the air of one who has settled the question i think the conduct of dennis is very suspicious and i would not be surprised if he turned out to be the guilty person but the acts of hilliston tate rubbed his head and looked vexed for he was unable to give a direct answer let us leave the matter alone for the present he said crossly i am getting bewildered with all this talk only one person can tell the truth and that is carrie alias dennis bantry End of chapters 23 and 24